One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not led to. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagan's. We can truly prepare for the jump that follows this song. But hey, we gave it a try. So here's the Knights of they are divided For equal, sequel, hate, and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader A big thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is March 15th, 2020. My name is Zach Weber, and I am joined by the rational Raylo McKenzie. Hello there. And welcoming him back to Knights of Vader after a very, very long stint catching lightsabers on Octo when they're thrown into a fiery TIE fighter, Force Ghost Jim. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. He's back, folks. He helped Ray. You might not have seen it in like the credits of the Rise of Skywalker, but he was there. He had they put his font a little <laughs> bit smaller than the others. He he just had to kind of like look right right behind him. Like if you squint, you can kind of see a shimmering figure. Kind of there. In, you had to sit in the front row of the theater and be all the way over to the side to see me. <laughs> yes, he was. He was in the same place that uh, Ben Solo was at the end with Luke and Leia. Like him in like. They were sitting there like, come on, like, why aren't we in the camera? Why aren't we in the frame? JJ's like a little bit left, left of center. Keep going. Right there. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. You got it. Oh, boy. So, Jim, it's been a while. It's been almost three months since you've been on the podcast. How have you been? I've been great. No, no issues. No complaints. Been busy with uh, in the 501st and uh, joined the Mandalorian and the... Uh, the Rise of Skywalker and the last season of Clone Wars. Bad, bad stuff. I guess to give everybody a little bit of a recap with Force Ghost Jim, he liked The Force Awakens. He did not like The Last Jedi. So, Jim, even I don't know this going into this conversation. What'd you think of The Rise of Skywalker? Okay. I was glad to have Star Wars back. We'll start it there. Uh, but I, it was okay. I just felt with all the teasers and all the the leaks and stuff that were out there i just felt like the movie was really edited to move very fast and it didn't need it to be i uh i thought there could have been more character development on a lot of it and uh some things done differently uh i was unimpressed that they brought the emperor in in the first 30 seconds of the movie Hmm. uh i i thought there could have been a little bit more on that and then uh, the whole thing with uh, the Sith could have, I thought they're going to be more stuff done with that. And mm-hmm. uh, I just, it just felt like it was rushed and edited into the fit. I'd love to have seen before the edits were made and what scenes were ended up on the floor. And I don't know if we'll ever see that. It's kind of like the Rogue One whole issue where they're showing things from Rogue One and the trailers and all that, and there's video footage of it, and it's not in the movie, and everybody claims, no, that wasn't really real. Really? Okay. 
I think there's a lot of that stuff with The Rise of Skywalker. I think this movie was re-edited. I think there was a, a lot of second-guessing done by somebody. Hmm. So, uh, you, so you enjoyed it more than The Last Jedi? Oh, yeah, I liked anything better than The Last Jedi. I don't like getting my hand smashed by a hammer. <laughs> yes, Force Ghost Jim is a, a nut with Star Wars. He is a uh, he's on that side of the fence when it comes to the Last Jedi. I just it, it just it just didn't work for me. There were a couple scenes I really enjoyed, uh, but as a rule of thumb, not the movie. I thought it could have been done a, uh, things a lot better, but that got addressed a long time ago. We don't need to beat that horse to death again. I don't feel but, like talking about it anymore. <laughs> no, but, but but did you see the rise of skywalker as an apology for the last jedi i saw it here's here's exactly what i thought when i saw it i thought they're trying to make too many people happy mm, exactly i think you know you got the the people who like the the last trilogy this last trilogy and they made it for them and then they really tried to make so they didn't have so many haters and so many crybabies uh, the original trilogy people happy too, but when you try to make so many people happy, it just kind of makes it not a dull movie, but it doesn't make it the movie it could have been. Mm. I think that it, 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 it didn't take any risks. In mm. my well, well, it's what happens. You try to appeal to everyone, you end up appealing to no one. Right. You, you try to make it for the wider audience, and uh, you know you you don't do it to a certain group correct but i felt like it just was so incredibly fast-paced that it didn't necessarily need to be that and it was just things were mentioned and then moved on it just didn't it didn't go into anything and i thought palpatine was put in there just to make us old people shut up <laughs> did you did you like what you saw with him though did you did you like it oh. or I enjoyed his character, but here's the real problem with, I thought, with putting Palpatine in this, the way they did. I'd have been better off if it was a clone. Saying this is the real one, it totally, in my opinion, obliterated what Darth Vader did at the end of Return of the Jedi. It obliterated the whole thing of him killing the Emperor and all that, because guess what? He wasn't really dead. So in a way, it nullified the yes. event, the ending of the uh, Return of the Jedi. Right. And that was the big deal because that was the end of Darth Vader and the return of Anakin Skywalker. And you basically just obliterated that. And a lot of the stuff that was leaked early on about this new movie, I was happy with because there was talk of bringing Anakin and Darth Vader back in some sort of way. And, and if they were going to bring, if they were bringing Palpatine back. But hmm. the way they did it now, they just obliterated the end of Return of the Jedi. The big character in Return of the Jedi now is the Ewok. <laughs> you, you know what well, I mean? I mean they, just, they returned in the Rise of Skywalker, so I mean, even they were still featured a, to right. a point. I mean, but they had a chance. It could have been a clone. I mean, and then Ray being who she was. I mean, I'd have been so much happier if she was a Kenobi or something along the. Remember, I started that a long time ago. You, you, I, you wanted that for a while. You were barking at that tree that because because it was a risk. It was different. Making her Palpatine's, which I thought was a, 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 what they would have considered a risk. But, you know, how they brought her into this, and then he was always behind the scenes manipulating it. Again, we're back to the end of Kill and Return of the Jedi for me. Trashed part of my 
teenage years. Thank you very much. Because not because in essence you destroyed the whole Darth Vader Anakin thing at Return of the Jedi. That was it was supposed to be about. Then you created this other one just to satisfy something, I guess. I mean, I, I, I'm glad they brought the Emperor back, but they didn't have to make it the exact same guy. Did we not all see him fly down and light up like a Christmas tree down at the end of it? How did he come out of that? Well, Jim, he transferred his life essence right before he hit the bottom to a clone body on Exegol. Come on, it's in the novelization. Well, they finally released that, didn't they, though? Didn't they finally, after hiding that stupid thing for a while? <laughs> that, y- yes, that, well, by the time this episode comes out... Not the whole be, thing. Yeah, not the whole thing. As, as of now, the book isn't out, but it will be by the time this episode's out. Well, but that's fine. But again, if that was the case, then that needed to be explained. It wasn't explained. He just shows up. What? But does it matter? Like, he's back. Like, it's through... Like, he's what that character says in the movie. It's like, it could be anything. It could be dark magic. It could be through cloning. Does it really matter? He's back. Like, he's back. Like, that never bothered me. Dark side is a pathway to many abilities. Some (laughs) consider to be unnatural. That's all the explanation you need, right there. Boom. How does that make you feel, though, Jim? Like, I'm, like, so you you wanted the explanation. You wanted the exposition and how he got back. Well, I, well, because they didn't explain anything else in the damn movie. They just moved, 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 moved. They they moved through everything so fast mm-hmm. in the movie. I felt, and I just wanted a little bit of exposition because they introduced him back inside of the what the first thirty seconds of the movie. Close to it. Yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting maybe. that. But it, it didn't necessarily need to be done. They could have, you know, I, I just felt like he got in there and then he met Kylo Ren and then Kylo Ren goes, I don't need you. I'll take the, I'll take whatever I can. I, I don't know. It just seemed, I don't know. I mean, they do kind of throw Palpatine at you from literally not even 30 seconds in. It's more like one second in because it's immediately in the title, the, the crawl. Right, that they, they kind of introduced. They could have waited. They could have waited. It could have been there's mysterious things going on. If not, they they roll right into the scroll. By the way, the emperor's making noise. He's back. <laughs> I don't know. It yeah, just, it seemed anti. It's anticlimactic to me. But you got because he becomes the well. Uh, that that's the it thing with this movie. Predictable. Then it becomes predictable. Well, it's predictable because it's the last movie. Like every every last one of these has to be predictable to a certain extent. Because if you if you go think about it, last one was wasn't predictable at all, and look what happened there. You know, there everybody threw a temper tantrum. Were, there was a couple things I didn't understand, like the whole the whole Sith dagger thing. Mm-hmm. That I thought was a little bit weird, and then doing the whole Goonies thing. With the thing pulling it out. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. just was like, it didn't need to be done. I mean, how, and how did, the, how did that end up there? And how did that have it with the stupid Death Star smashed on the planet? They and they just happened to, to be in the right place. Right. It's saying the exact same. Exact, there you go. I, I've thought about that. I've thought about that. But that's the thing is that you can't think about it too much. That's that's the whole thing about the Rise of Skywalker. The more you think about it, the more you look into it, the more unhappy Star Wars fans are going to be. So you just have to appreciate it for what it is. Like well, that's just and, and, and that's 
And I guess my, my, my whole thing was they made something complicated where they should have made some things complicated. And then they focused on things. You're like, they chased out with this stupid dagger through the whole half, you know, two thirds of the movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they waste, they could have done something else with it. And then, then do the Goonies moment and go, Oh, it's right there. That's where we need to go. Yeah. Your complaints then, are valid. Your complaints yeah. are valid. I, in terms of, in terms of that, that was about it. And then I just felt there could have been some more character development in terms of that. I'd like to have seen more of the Sith involved. I said the Sith were kind of operating in the background. I don't know. And I don't understand why they didn't deploy the fleet instantly and then leave them trapped on the stupid Exegol planet to get wiped out. They had all the time in the world to move the whole fleet. That's, that's actually a good point. I never thought about that. Why, I also why? have not thought about that. I mean, they, they, they moved one out to go blow up the one stupid planet. I think the reason, okay, the, the movie doesn't explain this, but I, my explanation is the reason why the Star Destroyers hung back was to protect Palpatine. I think that was there as a very, very dense net to catch anybody if they got a little too close to him. I think after, again, this is my own rationalization right. of all this, but after the Battle of Endor, I would imagine Palpatine kept all these thousands of ships just waiting so nothing could get past him. Beyond the, was the, what the, uh, is there even a name for it? The, this thing that Kylo Ren, they all have to traverse to get, get to Exegol, the pathway, the, 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 the nebula, the red. The, the no, Sure, but whatever that was wayfinder, called, the red the nebula. Wayfinder. The wayfinder. The wayfinder. No, but I'm talking that about- they come up with, even they come up with, like that, I thought, my God, really? Oh, I, I that irritated me a little bit. But again, like that first part <laughs> of the movie, he was there so fast. I mean, there was no, I don't know. It just, it just, I enjoyed it mostly. And uh, it was kind of a nice way to send stuff off. I, uh, let's see, let's go to the end of the movie. Well, also, I have to ask because, um, Jim, yeah. I don't know, I don't know how familiar you are with the Raylo community. But we, we have one on the podcast now. So I have to ask you, what did you think of the kiss at the end? Oh, well, you know what? I have a daughter that's a, 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 a that one of those. <laughs> and, it's, a, uh, it's a dirty word we don't say in this household. That. But in the, but in the, sorry. And it was, and it was, I was fine with it. But you know what? They didn't need to kill him off. I thought, yeah. I thought, I thought you didn't need to kill them off because then you have those two go to the planet and everybody's happy and it's ice cream and cookies for everybody. You know, and they that kill would him disagree off. with you. Well, and that's fine. But if they kill him off or why didn't his force go show up with the other ones? Go ahead, Mackenzie, take mm-hmm. the ball and run with it. At the end of the day, uh, it's taken a lot of time for me to get used to it. And by a lot of time, I mean, not that much time, just, you know, a fair amount, but I think that at the end of the day, it's it's just the tragic romance. JJ wanted to do a Romeo and Juliet, and he wanted to make everybody happy, like we were talking about. And there's a large group of people that really disliked the idea of Kylo and Rey, uh, or Ben Solo and Rey, becoming a thing. And I think that JJ was aware of the controversy behind that. And in turn, wanted to somehow, uh, like like we keep saying, appease everybody and giving the Raylos what they wanted and giving the people who kind of 
uh, disliked that, what they wanted. And, like, not that they wanted Ben Solo to die, but that kind of Ray ended up back in her independent state. But she's not as lonely anymore because she's fulfilled. And she's, you know, she has a future and she has, you know, maybe, and I'm not sure if they imply a direction or anything like that, but they kind of imply that she has a family and she takes that Skywalker name. And I do like that. I, I, I'm growing to love the ending more and more as time goes on, but I kind of agree with you. There's like a, there's a part of me that really, really wishes that we could have seen Ben uh, with his family especially with his mother. I think that's right. a reunion that we deserved. Yes. Um, and that's a reunion we never got to see due to Carrie Fisher's passing, because I think that's something that they had planned for the rise of Skywalker. I would assume um, had she not passed away. So I think like there's a part of me that's kind of bitter about that. But like I said, I, at the end of the day, like I can only give into those feelings so much. I have to really just kind of, rationalize it and just accept that we got what we got and try and make the best of it. And I, I think it's still beautiful. I still think the ending is, you know, um, satisfying, but it's not as satisfying as I maybe wanted in the moment. You know, it's just going to take me some time to kind of come around to it. If that makes sense. You'll get, you'll get used to it as you get older, Mackenzie, with these star Wars movies, you're, you're on your way. You're on your way. It's okay. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. It's okay. <laughs> I understand. But yeah, in terms Thank of the you. ending, I think she has an identity now. I, I, I think she understands and she's comfortable in her own skin where before I don't think she necessarily was. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I think, I think in terms of the character of Ray, I think she's, yeah, I think she's come full circle from the wanting to go back to Jakku to well, she ended up on another desert planet, but we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I actually kind of saw I saw something online that was like Ray ended up like alone on a desert planet, and she started out alone on a desert planet, and that's kind of messed up. But you know, if you choose to see it like that, you can. It's kind of cynical, but I mean, you know, people are going to interpret it how they're going to interpret it. I still think that she's probably a little bit better off than she was in the beginning, but. It is kind of funny that she starts and ends in like literally the exact same way, sliding down a right. sand dune. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing about that mo- this movie. It's just it does like it gets some things right and other things it just I don't know what they were thinking. Because like mm-hmm. there's gotta be some point where somebody read this and was like, Oh, but I think there's also this thing of like they didn't wanna it's like what Jim said, you don't wanna rock the boat. I think the idea of having her go right back to where she began is a nice, you bring it full circle. She has a pretty new lightsaber and that's it. It's kind of, I think they want that ending to be less of like how you were saying Mackenzie with the cynical perspective and more of like, Oh, it's a new beginning. Right. Of course they meant, I don't think they meant it to be taken cynically. I think that's just star Wars fans in general are going to interpret things like that. But if you, here's another way to look at this, the old man in the group, they put in going back to Tatooine to make me happy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so too. And I think that not just like those who were kind of around for the original trilogy, but I think Star Wars fans as a whole can appreciate the Lars Homestead. Like right. That's... And that, I mean, and that's an iconic set that even if you're not a Star Wars fan, you know that set. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it was great going back. I, in terms of that, I agree with that. I've, 
I was I was happy to see that that part of it in terms of the way it is. I you know like you know you just got to learn to accept it and be happy that it was a Star Wars movie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and you know what I I did that when the they did that with the Star Trek when the Kelvin series came out. This whole and there were people bitching and raising high heaven about it. And I said, just be thankful it's Star Trek. I said, because God Almighty, you could be without it another 20 years. You know, and I, I can appreciate that. But it, I know. So, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I just thought it could have been better. It just felt like it moved really fast. And they didn't need to move it as fast as they moved it. Considering this was the last movie in the trilogy and was tying up all the loose ends. I don't know. I like how I have a feeling that going forward, being a Star Wars fan, the phrase "it could have been better," but I'm happy that it exists. Like that's, I feel <laughs> like that's just going to be the motto of us fans going We've forward. We've been it's, reduced to just being grateful for the crumbs that they, like, yeah, <laughs> that they choose like, to give us. That it's what it's kind of coming down to. Is it like, oh, it could be better, but I guess it's better than nothing. Well, we're, just, we're, it's it's. We're all getting better with being let down. <laughs> We're lowering our expectations in unison. Well, that's exactly it. Because that's exactly it. Because it's because the other side reaction, of course, you have your zealots and the, the people that really must live in a basement and have nothing better to do. Uh, complete, you know, they completely went after Solo. And just destroyed the chance of any of those other standalone movies being made in a movie theater. Now, we may see them on the Disney Plus route. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought like Rogue One. I loved Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was amazing and led into a, a film that was 30 years prior and made another film relevant again. In terms of that. But, you know, I, I guess we just have to be happy with what we've got. I just wish Disney would stay out of it and just let people do what they need to do, but it's okay. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's yet. never going to happen. Not now. Not, no, but you know, there's some things, you know, they, they, I thought they did right, but it's just oh, like, yeah. like and, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. And then I'll be interested in seeing when, and if they make another trilogy, when they make another set, I hope, you know, it's, it's, Something that they can start off with that they don't have to make us happy. If they start off with all sorts of new characters and new settings and all that, then all us old people won't have anything to really bitch about. We'll find something. But, uh, <laughs> Star but, I mean, Wars fans term- always do. Right, exactly. So I think, you know, if they go back into the Knights of the Old Republic era and that type of thing, I think that would be good. I think that would be good. So, Jim, what do you think about all this High Republic stuff? You know what? I think it looks okay, but again, it's got that feel of trying to make everybody happy. Everybody happy, yeah. I've, it's it's got that feel. It really does, and I'm like, you know, in in the original trilogy, you had the. It's just like the. It's just like the old back in the even before I was around. You had the 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 good guys wore the white hats, and the bad guys wore the black hats. And mm-hmm. and especially now, you know, in the early in the early trilogies, you know, the original trilogy, evil empire was evil, and the rebels were good. You know, I mean, at least that perception. Now they want to mm-hmm. make everything shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Everything shades of gray. Yes. And, and 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 I don't think it needs to be done 
all the time. It's okay to have bad guys, bad guys, and good guys, good guys. And, you know, occasionally you're, you're, you're people who kind of cross over into it. But it's just a movie. It's just a, I, I, I feel like we're getting social commentary at every possibility in every area just to show that, hey, we're paying attention so we don't get yelled at and sued and called out on. Political well, correctness has gone through the political correctness has gone through the roof when it and it, on something like this it probably isn't even an issue. So. Yeah, but they're making but they're making it an issue. That's the problem. They're dragging political correctness. That's right. Into this. and it doesn't need to be. It does not need to be in a made up universe of Star Wars. But when you're trying to have this mass appeal that Disney has, I mean. The way that our culture is now, there's no way they can appeal to the masses if they decided to do something that wasn't conforming to that structure and that kind of, uh, how would you say, like, like an, like almost like a wall. Like they have to put up walls. They can't, and they can't cross it. They're, they're basically blocking themselves in. They're, they're limiting what they can do because of society. Right. I mean, but, but you know, but again. It's Disney's fault, not anybody else's. Look at politically incorrect movie like Deadpool. Look how mm. well it grossed at the box office. Yeah, but that's that's not that was that movie's weird because it's not politically incorrect in a sense. It's raunchy, and raunchy right. is very popular nowadays. Like in a well, weird way, that was politically incorrect in a way that made everybody happy. Right. But mm-hmm. I said it shows the underlying character. And but you know, back in the original Star Wars trilogy, it just seemed that worked. And then and it seems like they're trying anymore, which is fine. I appreciate the square peg in the round hole mm-hmm. and making something like I've said it before, like the movie, more complicated than it really needed to be. And but, see, address- but, but they're kind of like that's the weird thing too with Lucasfilm and I guess it's by extension Disney is doing. Because I know you guys probably have seen it in the last couple of not even just months, but years, is that I keep seeing all these quotes being thrown around about with George Lucas, like Revenge of the Sith was his response to the Iraq war and how Star Wars was always a a pair of what's it, a parable oh god, parable, yeah. right? Par- parable mm-hmm. of Vietnam. Yeah. Yes. And it's like and it's like folks that like when Lucas was making Star Wars, he was not envisioning Richard Nixon as Darth Vader. That was not <laughs> what he was thinking. Like, and that's why I think it's fascinating is that like we're taking all these po- history. Revisions yes, history. exactly. And the weird thing is is that like you've got Lucasfilm not actively doing it. But there's their surrogates are doing it, and they're not putting an end to it. They're not like not even, I mean putting an end because I don't mean that they sh- they shouldn't really have a say in what direction the fan fans go in interpreting Star Wars. But like I've even noticed a lot even on Twitter, like when you have like your Star Wars story group people, and they are now outright just confirming things that were ambiguous. Like one of my one of the most recent examples is the Yoda versus Darth Sidious fight at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And there was a bunch of fans arguing about like, oh, Yoda could have won if he got up. Nope, Palpatine beat him. And Matt Martin of the story group got involved and he's like, Yoda lost. And everyone's like, and a couple mm. people were like, what do you mean Yoda lost? And he and like and he shut down the discussion. And I'm like, I'm like, 
why are we why are we doing this? Why are we making things definitive in Star Wars? Like unless the film makes it definitive, if there's even an, an ounce of like doubt, let let the fans argue about it. And that's the weird thing that they're doing right now. Like they 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 want to take control of it, but in a very in a way that they shouldn't be taking control of it. Like they should just be telling like their goal, Lucasfilm should be, let's tell the best story we can regarding whatever project we're involved with, whether it be a book, movie, video game, TV show. Let's tell the best story we can. And then instead of that, we get a dry erase board slash giant post-it note that says Star Wars without the wars. And it's like, oh no. Like even like I don't want to get too far into this because Jim, have you um did you pick up a digital copy of the Rise of Skywalker? Did you did you pick up no. that at all? No. All right, all right. Um, and at the rate we're going, we're probably not going to end up talking about Clone Wars, but that's fine. We can save that for we another can talk day. Clone Wars. We can talk about Clone Wars. Yeah, but, but but this is more interesting though. This is more philosophical, and I like that. Anybody can talk about the stupid seven year old seven year leftovers of a cartoon. Mm. Um. But I did like those last the last two episodes were cool, but we'll get into that maybe later or maybe another episode. If you're available this whole week, Jim, we can do this later in the week. Yeah. Um, um, but no, but going back, because the other day, Mackenzie and I watched the the Skywalker Legacy, part of the, the two-hour bonus feature on the Rise of Skywalker, I was about to say DVD, um, <laughs> on, the, the, on the release. And there's a point in that where the producers are talking about the movie, and... Just how they're talking is just so odd. And I, again, I wish I'd give an example, but I can't think of off the top of my head. But I, oh, that's I was going to say, was. which part are you th- are you thinking of? I was thinking about Michelle Rejwan, who's like I think now like oh, the yeah. producer that's right under Kathleen Kennedy when it comes to these films. She's kind of like, oh god, she's the on set producer. She's the one. Ka- yeah, she's the one that everybody wanted her head on the spike when they found out that it wasn't going to be Kevin Feige. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> she's she's the one directly, but she's she reports to Kathleen Kennedy directly. And she makes a comment in the bonus features where they're talking at the very one of the very free brief moments and not to step on Mackenzie's toes when they talk about like Ben Solo and his death. And she's like, Oh, we don't really spend a lot of time with this character, but his death makes it all the more potent. And that was kind of it. And I'm like, you've got a Portion of the fan base that I don't, and when I say rabid, I mean it in the nicest way possible. I don't mean it in a condescending way or in a derogatory way. Passionate, that, just say passionate. Passionate, but they're passionate, but passionate is also very pronged in this instance. Like they are, <laughs> there's teeth here. And that sort of comment is just like, I, we don't know when this interview was done. It could have been done back sometime last year, it could have been done a couple of weeks ago. We don't know. And you have those sort of comments and you go, they, they don't know how to talk to the fans. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with like the stuff of like Kathleen Kennedy a few months ago being like, oh, we wish we had the sort of pool of ancillary content that Marvel has. And it's like, oh, right. God. Yes, I saw that. And there's just books and books. In books and doc, oh yeah, I, in, com- I in comics and video games. Oh God, yes, there's a whole trove of history on this, and she acts like it just doesn't exist. And Literally that, forty years worth. But that's the thing is that like I'm willing to level with her and be like, oh, she she doesn't mean that in a condescending way. She means that as in like where Marvel has 
thousands upon thousands of comics to draw from. Star Wars doesn't have that in that same sense that Marvel does. Marvel does. Marvel has a backbone to it in that way that Star Wars doesn't. And yet, she could have phrased that comment a lot more eloquently, much right. more eloquently. And that's the thing about Lucasfilm. I think after what they, the company's been sold now for seven plus years, and they still don't know how to. What's the word? I don't want to say harness the hardcore fans, but there's ways of talking to. I don't want to call us hardcore. Like we we are not the no. the, the sycophants. We're not that. Mm-hmm. Like we are relatively speaking. I like to think that we're open minded, and yet they still stick their foot in their mouths constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of stuff with the rise of Skywalker. To bring it back to what Jim was saying initially, is that we're trying to appease everybody. That's not what they should be doing. They shouldn't be trying to appease anybody. They should be. It's like what the Rogue One thing was. Like we have, like Rogue One was the last time, or actually might have been the first and only time they started out with a story they wanted to tell, and they ran with it. And obviously, there, like Jim has said, there's reshoots and stuff. We'll never know how much of that was perverted or contaminated or enhanced during those reshoots. But there was a story there as a backbone. The story was. Do you mean? I'm sorry. Okay. By okay. they, do you mean Disney? We don't know. They, the powers that be, that's the best way to answer right. it. The powers that be. And there's a portion of this that I just wonder how much of the, the powers that be, or I'm sorry, the, the, the underlings to the powers that be <laughs> have been neutered. Because Rogue One shows, they know how to tell a story. And when there's problems, they know how to clean it up effectively. They know how to mm-hmm. fix it. They know how to fix it. But then you have things like Solo in The Rise of Skywalker. And it's kind of shocking that Solo is a much more cohesive film yes. at the end of the day than The Rise of Skywalker is. Absolutely. And that's the thing that's fascinating is that, like, is it the rushness of it? Is it that Rogue One was kind of there? They got their freebie. Like, that was, their, that was the one where they got told, okay, we're going to leave you alone to fix this. But if you mess up again... We're not gonna. We're gonna put our hand on mm-hmm. the steering wheel. And as anybody can tell you, you can't drive a car with a third hand on the steering wheel. It doesn't shock me at all that all of those extra reshoots that they did, that apparently they're claiming that they didn't do, the editing issues that they were having up till apparently three weeks. It it just doesn't shock me with what the product that we got, because I don't think that this production was cohesive i don't think that everybody was on the same page i think that jj had a specific idea of what they wanted kathleen kenny had kathleen kennedy had a specific idea of what she wanted and what the executives wanted and then you have the fandom they have their idea of what they want and it's almost like they're careless in their approach they don't care about what we want they it's mostly just like a game of tug and war between the directors the executives and we're never going to know exactly what's going on behind the scenes because there's too much there's too much um, like static in front of it. There's too much uh, vetting. They're not ever going to tell us the truth. They're not ever going to let us know what exactly was the reason that maybe all of those changes occurred. I mean, just look, they didn't even release any of the deleted scenes. You know there's got to be deleted scenes. We're, we're aware that there were scenes that were filmed, that there are right. there is footage that exists out there. But are we ever going to see it? Maybe not, because, I mean, they just released it, and they, I mean, well, they did that with The Force Awakens, though. They did, right, Zach? 
They yeah, released they, a deleted scene later. Yeah, they made. Yeah, they made a and they, That's not even all the deleted scenes because we know there's more from the Force Awakens as well. Um, well, yeah. but even I. But that goes back to Rogue One. You don't have anything out there other than what they put out there. Mm-hmm. No, right. I don't think we got any deleted scenes for Rogue One. I don't think we did. I don't think. I think uh, yeah, we definitely reached, didn't. They reshot it. They did all the corrections because you know the scenes were. You know the scenes were written because. Hell, they're even even some of the trailer. There's some of the action sequences that are there, with the mm-hmm. walkers and them running on the beach with the uh, the information, with the, the hard drive running on the beach. Hell, there's mm-hmm. Krennic walking up to a fire. The fiery uh, shuttle burned out. It's there, but you'll never see it. Well, yeah, that's that will always be the the, the biggest smoking gun. Like that is the. Uh... Oh, good lord! That is the uh, the magic bullet theory of Star Wars in the <laughs> sense of like director crack that haunts me in my dreams. I wake up and like I'm drenched in sweat, and I'm like, "What could have been?" Because there, there's no aftermath during the Battle of Scarab, and clearly they filmed one, mm-hmm. and we'll never know. Like apparently, there's also stuff with with Vader because we know they there was stuff in that first trailer too, where Vader is um there for the Death Star test initially. There's footage of him there that we know that that clearly was cut out or reshot. Yeah. Um, but that's like that's the thing about Lucasfilm. I don't again. I know on the most recent episode of Minor World, Positively Star Wars, uh, hosted by John Justice, author of the Embark series, soon to be con- the initial trilogy to be concluded with the Vanishing War, he was talking about like how we've been a little bit negative lately. And I know John. John doesn't mean that as in like criticism. He just means that like kind of like relative to what we we typically do. And I don't want this to be kind of like us dogpiling no. on Lucasfilm. No. But, but the thing is that, like, I want to bring up, because we received a, a listener email. But this email comes from Michael Labar. And Gus, I love you, Gus. I will get, I, again, I respond to your emails, Gus. I've never forgotten about you. But no, Michael sent us this. And he said, after listening to your um, Rise of Skywalker discussions, it doesn't sound like you guys are aware of the interviews with Marianne Brandon, the lead editor of the Rise of Skywalker. She did an interview on the Art of the Cut podcast. She dropped some revelations, including A, they didn't use any previs when making Rise of Skywalker. B, they didn't stop editing until about three weeks before the movie's premiere. C, since their schedule fell so hard behind, they didn't have time for test screenings. Indeed, they were no major plot adjusting reshoots. They did a handful of minor reshoots in the summer of 2009. Michael also sent us a bunch of superlatives. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, it means a lot, especially how you said you listen to other podcasts. And um, they really didn't scratch your itch that much anymore. And when it comes to one particular podcast that you mentioned with a very specific host, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I think that that individual is a mess, but that is a conversation for another day. And but going to his points though is that I was aware of this interview. I, I I read the bullet points on Reddit. I never got around to listening to the whole thing. So maybe some of this is lost in translation from what Michael did all the way up to um, what Reddit posted. But the thing about first the pre-visualization for the Rise of Skywalker, every major blockbuster today for I'd yes. say the last fifteen years yes. does pre-visualization. That you have to do standard. it for the mm-hmm. you yes you. You have to do it. That's the only way to start. That's, yes. that's like what? That's cinema That's cinema 101 in college? Essentially. At least blockbuster filmmaking. And, and the thing that... And Mackenzie can back this up for me and anybody who's actually watched the Skywalker Legacy featurette on the Rise of Skywalker bonus features. 
they show pre-visualization footage in that. There's behind-the-scenes footage. Yep. And so it's like, I, I believe, like, like, obviously, I know uh, Michael's not trying to contradict anybody here. He's just relaying the information he's heard, though. But it's stuff like this that makes me go, oh, Miss Brandon, I, I can't trust her. I can't trust her. Maybe she meant something else by previs. Who knows? Uh, semantics are a very dangerous game nowadays. But we know they exist. We know, like Jim said, they're a standard in the industry. So I, I don't trust them. And then even going on to some of the other points that like they, um, their schedule fell so behind that they didn't have time for test screenings. Well, they, they've never test screened any of this stuff when it comes to general audiences like they don't go to, to the mall of america and test screen the, the force awakens or the last jedi but from the force awakens commentary jj states that he essentially let any filmmaker worth their weight in salt see the force awakens before it was finished and he got feedback like he talks about how he let ava duvarnay see the film he let spielberg see mm -hmm. the film and that's what probably happened with the Rise of Skywalker too. You probably had a parade of VIPs see it, and they all gave their own two cents on it. And as we all know, J.J. doesn't have a vision going into any of this. He does what he's told. He's very much a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of creative, which is fine. That's his own prerogative. I'm not going to take that away from him. But that's the stuff that also I don't trust Lucasfilm people. I just don't. And then going to kind of the last major point that Michael brings up is the whole thing of there were no major plot adjusting reshoots. And I know the story from Pablo Hidalgo is that the only, apparently the first act was the thing that was majorly reworked. And we know that to some extent because the scene with the Oracle, whose name is? Yes. The Eye of Webbage Bog. Yes, thank you, Mackenzie. Was cut out, and we know that the the novelization confirms that. With, heck, it's a marketing it's a marketing tactic for the book. Like you're going to see the deleted, you're going to read a deleted scene, mm -hmm. and so we know that again. Lucasfilm is not honest with us, mm -hmm. and that's the sort of stuff that. And not that I, I, they need to be painfully honest with us. Like Jim said, they, it's a business. It's an industry. They cannot air their dirty laundry just so us hardcore fans can sleep easy at night. They don't care about the fact that I wake up and I have to take a, a shower after I think about director Krennic in the first trailer for Rogue One. They don't care about that. They don't care about those sort of things bothering me. And I don't blame them. It shouldn't bother me that much. But, but those are the sort of things, though, that, like, after a while... They can't keep sweeping these things under the rug. They've well, got to just go ahead. That's right. They don't. They treat us like fools. Yes. Mm -hmm. They think. Well, that that's what boggles my mind, though, is that like like you said, Zach, they've had control of the Star Wars franchise for what seven years now. They should know that Star Wars fans, at least like eighty percent of us. Okay, maybe that's generous. Like 60% of us pay attention to those tiny things. That's what, you makes, know? It, that's what makes it Star Wars. Exactly. And that's what's fun about being a Star Wars fan. And that's the part of it, too, is that I won't even say... Like, you're right, Mackenzie. Yes, Star Wars fans, we are probably the most one of the most rabid fan bases that consumes the content. But at the same time, though, you also have people beyond us the the filthy uh, one step above the filthy casual mm -hmm. that also has a deeper understanding of how the sausage is made 
Because you what have things. Okay, this is the example I'm going to use. Back during the summer of 2015, you had Josh Trank's Fant Stick, mm-hmm. a movie that, by any other means, if it was released even a couple years earlier, most people would have paid to go see just because it was a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Yet, you have people now, back in 2015, that's what, four and a half, almost five years ago now, mm-hmm. that the online communities were able to stoke up enough ire against that film that it bombed. Like everybody forgets that like a couple of months prior to that movie coming out, like early 25th, the summer of 2015, that film was tracking it like a $50 million opening weekend. And what happened was the internet and the, in the sycophants, the Marvel sycophants, this is before the Fox deal and all that got everybody so riled up and labeled that film as illegitimate that it bombed. Regardless of whether the film was any good or not, that's not the issue. When it comes to filmmaking, the opening weekend is your marketing. Everything Mm -hmm. after that is the word of mouth and the actual quality of the film. And that's the world we live in now. So when Lucasfilm either ignores things or just, just tries to shift the narrative away from other things... There's filthy casuals out there and normies that are going to glom onto it. It's not just because I know a lot of people were talking about like when it came to when Solo was released. It's like, oh, people who are going to the movies on a Friday night in May of 2018, they're not going to care that Solo had production problems. Well, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're going through Twitter headlines or you're going through Google headlines and you see stuff that like, oh, Solo movie, blah, 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 directors were fired – Mm-hmm. Especially in today where everybody is so hypersensitive, there's a group of people that if normally there was to go see a movie, you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to support that movie because I believe in artist integrity. And I'm not saying that everybody thinks that way, but Lucasfilm does nothing to kind of dissuade those headlines. Where like when Ant-Man came out, the week of, there were no headlines about troubled Ant-Man production or, or Ant-Man film that had trouble production finally hits theaters because mm-hmm. Marvel knows how to squash that sort of narrative where Lucasfilm just sits there and goes and just shrugs. And we have Andy Gutierrez and Anthony Carbone singing and do a little jig and that's supposed to change the narrative. Right. And, th- and that's the sort of stuff that frustrates me. And Marvel doesn't even have that sort of just like, I think about it, Marvel doesn't have person. I, what's the word? Um, Fan ambassadors. I'm not sure if you can call Andy Gutierrez <laughs> and Anthony Carbone fan ambassadors, but they're, they're, they're the, I can't think of a better name for them. I than see. That. Yeah, I see where you're going with that that term. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. Marvel Marvel has less of a fan presence than Star Wars does, yet they have an infinitely better grasp on the fandom than Star Wars does. On their, on, let me rephrase that. On their respective fandom than Star Wars. Well, you can make the argument that like it's not as deep or philosophically based as a lot of the things in Star Wars are. So I think that there's, you know, a level of intellectualness, intellectual, whatever. <laughs> I know, no, no, I, know like, what you, I know what you yeah. mean. There's not that, there's not that deep rooted connection to Star Wars. Cause Marvel isn't that Marvel as in the movies is not as deep as Star Wars is. No. And it's, it's, it's just, I mean, the superhero thing is very um, cut and dry. You, whereas you have Star Wars and you have like, integral idea like ideas of humanity and what makes us you know love and what makes us angry and and just so many more things that that go into it that form its foundation 
that well, I feel like. Hmm. And McKenzie's on the right track, but I also think it has something to do with the movies have been around for so many years. The Star Wars stuff has since 77. And there's just a, a longer, longer exposure to the public. Right. Right. Well, okay. Uh, well, okay. I know what you're getting at, though, but I, di- I disagree with that. Because The Force Awakens showed $2 billion worth of growth shows that they had the zeitgeist. And for whatever reason, whether it be through overexposure or just taste change or loss of control in the narrative, they lost that. Like, look at that. Like, The Rise of Skywalker made half as much money as The Force Awakens. And I know there's that stupid narrative out there that The Force Awakens overperformed. And I still think that's the dumbest argument you could possibly make about the success of something. And that's the point, though, is that they had control. They had everybody and their brother drinking the Kool-Aid on Star Wars December 2015. And it wasn't just U.S. audiences. Like, The Force Awakens made like $125 million in China. They got, you know, that's not a lot of money in China relative to, like, Marvel and Fast and Furious. It still is pretty good for a franchise that never had any sort of footprint over there. and so. Yeah, sure. Star Wars is, is is mature compared to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they had it, and then they lost it, and that's my problem. And that's when this all comes back to narratives in the media and marketing. And this is another point I wanted to bring up, and this is a good time to do it. Was that when they released their home video trailer for the Rise of Skywalker? It's about a sixty second marketing spot. And for whatever reason, it took me about a week to find it. I don't know why it didn't blip on my radar until about like a week or so after it was released. And I watched this trailer, and it was nothing short of phenomenal. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Jim. I know Mackenzie has. No, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's fanta- absolutely fantastic. It's about 60 seconds long, and it does everything a piece of marketing should. And I know a lot of people. If they know if, if you haven't seen it, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, you probably can find it going on the official Star Wars YouTube account. It's about 60 seconds long. It won't be hard for you to locate. And I know a lot of people are gonna, not going to like it because it gives away a lot of things in the movie. But it's, it goes back to the ideas that, like, think of we all have our favorite movies. And if a spoiler is able to ruin a movie or a plot point, we wouldn't have favorite movies, not just as a culture, but as individuals. And so going back to this Rise of Skywalker marketing trailer or home video trailer, in this trailer, it shows a bunch of stuff. It shows Luke holding the lightsaber. It shows Han Solo with Kylo Ren, Ben Solo on the Death Star debris. It shows Palpatine. It shows Rey with the two lightsabers. And that was the sort of, you needed that jump start to the marketing. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the Rise of Skywalker marketing, but clearly it didn't work objectively speaking. And it also would have it would have fueled so much not that not that the trailer we got didn't fuel a lot of conversation in the fandom, but it would have fueled us so much more. Like there would have been so much more discussion happening, so much more hype and sharing and and word of mouth just from that one trailer alone. I think the th- like the last trailer that they released was probably one of the weakest ones. Yeah, that's and I don't even I the thing about it is I don't know if it's if it's 
because I thought the Rise of Skywalker marketing for the most part was well done. I thought it was better than The Last Jedi's. But it fell into the same trap that all, and it's not just Star Wars, all of the Disney properties for the most part fall into is that they hide the plot. Mm-hmm. And I was watching this in the last couple of days, they released the final trailer for the Black Widow movie. And from that two and a half minutes, it explains the plot of the movie. It's okay. It take. It, they still haven't really alluded to when it takes place in the continuity of the MCU. But it's okay. Black Widow has to go back home. She goes back home. Her family's there. Her demons are catching up with her. Her initial demons, not her Avengers demons. Mm-hmm. And she has to deal with those. She has to reunite with her, reconnect with her family in order to defeat the demons of her past. Boom. You can explain the entire plot of the movie in two sentences. And you look at the marketing for The Rise of Skywalker, and I look at that marketing now after seeing the movie five or six times, and I still can't tell you what the plot of the movie is from that from those trailers because it's all over the place. It's just, oh, God, it's just shots just strung together. Mm-hmm. It's as if, and maybe, again, maybe it's not the marketing department's fault. Maybe that's the fact that JJ wasn't giving them coherent stuff to work with. Maybe the marketing department didn't know what the plot was. Like, think about it. You can't, ma- you can't make an effective trailer if you don't know what the story is. And on top of that, it's the issue of maybe they, JJ didn't even know what the movie looked like at that point. That, that's actually something that I didn't think of. I mean, maybe that's why they decided to go with such ambiguous shots like you said because they didn't really have that firm chronological plot line maybe figured out quite yet and they didn't really want they wanted to give us like obviously they had to give us something it had been so like we waited way too long for that trailer to begin with but i think maybe that might have been why like one of the reasons that we did wait so long was that they were struggling yeah and that's really kind of um, what I have to figure was an issue because. Yeah, it's there. Th- what it was, was I guarantee they didn't have much to work with and the left hand didn't talk to the right hand. And it, 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 that makes a lot of sense that they were having serious issues and they were just kind of marketing says, you got to give me something. You mm-hmm. got to give me something. So well, we you know, marketing this movie. You know what I want to do right now? We're going to take a small pause in the recording. Jim, I want you to watch the, uh, I want you to watch this piece of trailers. Sure. All right. And I want to get your uh, opinion on this. What we've done. All this time. I want you to know that you have been a real friend or two. My best one, in fact. together I will finish what big started a thousand generations live in you now this is your destiny the force will be with you Wow. So after watching that, Jim, if you would have seen that trailer, let's say back in October of 2019, yes. would that have increased your hype or decreased it? 
increased it because it was done well, just like what you were just talking about. You can tell this was done after they had the movie and they'd seen it and understood it and knew mm -hmm. how to put everything together. You can exactly. see that you can see it as plain as day. I never I never thought about that, but that makes all the sense. You can go back and explain a lot of things now. And you can even explain some of the cast, even some of the cast after the fact was saying some of this stuff. But it kind of it kind of has the exact same it gives me the same feeling that not the initial Force Awakens trailer, but the Chewie We're Home trailer kind of gave me. Yes. Yes. Like it's very much like it grabs you in an emotional way. And right. I think like even like down to certain things, like like the, for example, the Leia saber. They show that saber. And you know, like that saber was what? Like they used it maybe like I mean, obviously it, it had like a spot a spot at the end, but it was only used by Ray for a little bit. Like they, right. they it's for something so small as that, they could have given us that shot and we would have ate that up. We would have gone bananas over that. And I wish that they would have given us those little nuggets, like something that to like make us more uh, chomping at the bit, as it were. I feel like we were kind of uh, not let down, well, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's anticipating it. It was more anticipation for it. You were waiting. Yeah. For it. it was been like, oh, here's the new Star Wars. Thing. Oh man, I can't wait to see this. It would create talking points, and it would have created interest. It would have generated mm -hmm. interest. Yeah. All we all we got was the. Like John Justice says. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I, you know, but if you go back and look at Rogue One, they built that up the right way, too. Even with the, mm -hmm. the reshoots and their mistakes, what they got out there was kind of a coherent plan. Yeah. With, I, agree, I, I never thought about that, Zach. That was a good point. Thank you. No, I've been sitting on that trailer for a while. I've been trying to figure out a clever way to work it into the conversation, into like episodes now for a couple of weeks. Um, but like, even because I posted this in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, and folks, if you ever want to be on the cutting edge of what we're talking about, just in general, go join that group. We we have fun in there. Plus, you, you, a lot of stuff that we're, we eventually talk about, you get to kind of the early scoop on there. But when I posted that in there, when I first discovered it, I made the claim and at the time. I thought it was maybe a tad hyperbolic, but now I'm even more concrete in this assertion that if they would have had the shot of Han Solo and Kylo Ren on the debris of the Death Star, that would have added probably $50 million to the opening weekend. That one shot alone would have generated so much. You could have gotten people like Jim that are much more, I don't want to say disillusioned, but are just... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, Trish, Jim's not disillusioned. People like him are, but he's not. And I think that would have gotten a bunch of the older fans on board. Just that one shot. All you need that. And guess mm -hmm. what? You also have gotten people like Mackenzie and I on board, the younger generation. Well, and they because it's like, how do you come back? And mm -hmm. guys, remember they kind of held on to the uh, Death Star image? They could have thrown that in there too. That would have got it more hyped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's... It's, they just didn't take advantage of everything that they had. I mean, or they could have taken advantage of it in a, in a more uh, efficient way. Um, and but the only thing, the only qualifier we might have to add to all this was or is that that last trailer came out in October. Right. And if, if we're going to believe the editor of the film, mm -hmm. they were still editing the film three weeks before opening, so they were editing it during Thanksgiving weekend. That doesn't. I mean, <sighs> so they could. Did this movie? Did this movie? All, was it release date always the release date, or was it moved back? 
It was moved back. No. They, they, no, they originally had it. They wanted to release it I May thought. 2019. And when yeah. JJ took over from Colin Madman Trevorrow, Bob Iger agreed to push it back to December. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, with that kind of time, with that kind of time, they should have had a better job, work, a beginning work product than they showed. And that's, and that's the shame of this because that's kind of the point where I, I, I know even like, off mic, I've told Mackenzie this, and she she was disillusioned by this comment. Like I told her, I'm like, there's gonna come a day where we're gonna be like, we don't care anymore about Star Wars. Not as in like the stuff that we grew up with and the stuff that like we've consumed our entire lives up until now, but I mean future Star Wars, as in just mm-hmm. the next thing coming down the pike. And that's what I mean with this, is that to Disney. This is just another horse in the stable. It is. And, mm-hmm. and the, it, the problem is, it's not the horse that's making them the most money. So exactly. It, the, like, and that's why I always was, I was ringing the warning bell about the Rise of Skywalker. And I got so angry when people blew off the relative disappointment of the film on a financial level. That's the concern, because if these movies don't continue to make money, they're going to get ignored. And you're going to get more slashed and slashed budgets. Like you're telling me that the Rise of Skywalker grossed, again, $2 billion. Let's say it made $2 billion. Let's say it did Force Awakens level. You're mm-hmm. telling me the High Republic would have been relegated to a bunch of books? And that's why when Jason Ward said, oh, the next movie series is High Republic, a lot of people said, oh, look at him. He got it wrong. And it's like, folks, like my own personal issues with him aside – I believe him when it comes to rumors. So when mm-hmm. he said that this was going to be movies, I'm inclined to believe that it probably was going to be movies. And when the move, the last movie underperformed, Disney said, nope, we're not going to give you $250 million to risk on this again. We tried that with the Han Solo movie. Look how that turned out. And that's what's going to happen. Star Wars is not going to be allowed to take creative risks unless it performs well. And that's and that's and that's not that's not good or bad. That's just the way of the world. And people only people like George Lucas could sit there and make a prequel trilogy where he could do anything he wanted and not have to worry about it because it was his own thing. If he wanted to drive it into the ground, that was his, his right to drive money. it into the ground. Exactly. It was it was his right to drive it into the ground. And again, Disney has state uh, shareholders. Like I think Rob says it a lot. The share that's all they care about. When they're sitting mm-hmm. in the board of directors and Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams go in and say, we want to have romance, the end of The Rise of Skywalker. It's Steve Jobs' widow, who's a huge shareholder. It's the Murdochs. They, they chuck a stapler at them and say, we don't care, just print money. That, and that's the reality. And that's kind of like, I, I don't mean this to sound like the cynical part of my brain, because it's not. Being, being pragmatic is not... It's not meant to disillusion anybody from these movies. And I, and, and I again, I have to get, it feels horrible. I have to keep always saying this, but I love The Rise of Skywalker. I love it for How many the best that is. How many times did you see it? Uh, well, I only saw it four times in theaters, unlike certain friends of the show, John Justice, who I think as of now, even with well, the coronavirus like, ban, he's still there right now. Like they said, sir, like, <laughs> we legally cannot have you in this theater. And he's like, shut up. I'm watching the ending. <laughs> Oh, I've only what? seen it once. What I still noob have fucks. What a noob. It's not my fault, okay? <laughs> but yeah. How many times did you see it, Jim? Uh, four. I had an opportunity to see it eight times. I only saw it four. 
Jeez. Because believe me, if I had when I trooped, when I trooped, I have when we went to the movie theater opening week, they gave us we were allowed to go in and see it for free. In some places, we even had our own private showing. Ooh. But I, I just, I was too tired of being in my stormtrooper, and I'd already (laughs) seen it the night before, and I'd seen it the day before. So I passed on probably four opportunities to see it additional for free. Wow. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's neat. No, believe one me, the, I would have seen the, it more times if I could have. Oh yeah, I, it, I mean, it was fine. I enjoyed it. I got to see it with my daughter, which was great, and uh, it was it was good. It, I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, I literally passed on four times to see it. Maybe more than that. I don't can remember those off the top of my head. Okay, so I know this is kind of not fair to ask you this, Mackenzie, but obviously mm-hmm. based on your own personal circumstance, we'll never know. But if you were in the same headspace that you were in, or just normal relative life you had to when Last Jedi and Force Awakens came out, mm-hmm. would you have glommed on to that? How many times did you see Last Jedi in theaters? Last Jedi I saw, I want to say uh, four times. It definitely it was three uh, times too many. It was three times too many. <laughs> I had to say it. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just like Zach kind of had the same um, experience with the last Jedi where I was kind of left. Like my, my head didn't know what to do with the last Jedi after I watched it the first time. And then it took um, a couple consecutive viewings for me to actually grow to love it. Like cool. I do now. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, but the force awakens, I actually saw like the most, I want to say, I think I saw that one like seven or eight times. I'm yeah. really, really upset that i have not been able to experience the rise of skywalker um again in theaters because the way that i felt afterwards was just kind of like like you said it's a, it's a breakneck pace and it kind of just slaps you in the face and i and i don't mean that in a negative way i mean like no. it really does just like it's just like boom 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 we're moving like from the very beginning and i i actually like it i do like the pace i think after like after uh after thinking about it and kind of like listening to um, other perspectives and stuff, you know, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be like that. You know, I think that's what makes Star Wars fun. I think the prequels are kind of like that in a way. Um, but yeah, um, it's it so. So, it so with that being said, do you think you would have seen this multiple times in the like this way? Oh, you would yes, yes. But more, I, but, but more Last Jedi level or Force Awakens level. I feel like probably more Force Awakens level. Like, I I loved it. It just, I wish that it... <sighs> the ending was really what left me feeling kind of, like, sad for obvious reasons. And we don't have to get into that too much because we've already beat that, you know, into the ground. But it would have probably been a lot better to see it a second time and kind of have a chance to... Instead of having it all just kind of hit me at once, I would have been able to rationalize things a little bit more. I would have been able to kind of, um, like, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for it. It's like riding a roller coaster twice. You ride it the first time and you don't know when the curves are happening. You don't know what to expect, but then you ride it a second time and it's like, oh, it's a little bit, it's just as fun. It's just that you kind of, you know what to expect. And I think that if I had been able to go, like, go into it in a, in a theater setting, knowing what to expect, I think I wouldn't have been so like blindsided by everything, and I would have been able to intellectualize it a little bit more. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Considering that you have to do this all kind of just uh, 
speculating on something that you never had the chance to do. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as far as like my, my inherent Raylo-ness goes, I might not have been so keen on being upset had I been able to like kind of see it maybe maybe even like the next day you know that that's the type of thing that I was thinking of is like if I had been able to see this in December with everybody else I would have been there literally the next day and I think it would have been a much shorter amount of time in between like me talking to you now and me seeing it I think I saw it on February 14th yeah I saw it on Valentine's Day so between Valentine's Day and now is the amount of time I've had to sit on everything just with that one viewing. And even with just that one viewing, and obviously, like, I talk about Star Wars with you every week, almost every day. I It's a part of my life that I can't, <laughs> nor do I want to escape from. But, uh, yeah, it's, even with the one viewing, I feel like my perspectives on it have, have um, improved. You know what I'm saying? Like, as far as, like, in a more positive sense. I've grown to love it even more so. And I think that would have happened, obviously, faster had I been able to see it more times. Yeah, that's that's. But now the digital version's out. I'm sorry. Yes. Get to watch it as many times as you want. Yes. I'll probably do that after this. <laughs> well, I probably shouldn't. I really actually shouldn't. All right, Jim, because we got to start wrapping things up. Any final words on The Rise of Skywalker? Uh, no. We kind of talked to the death of the last 70 minutes. <laughs> no, it just, I, I don't think you'd talk me into being happier with the movie. I mean, it was okay, but I, I just wasn't ecstatic about it. I didn't jump up and down and cheer. I liked it, but I, I already told you my, my concerns with it and everything. It just kind of, it kind of wrecked some things. It didn't need to wreck and it just could have gone a different direction and didn't, but I don't know if that's just me. I still think that what it added, I think, in my opinion, I think it Im- it improved upon everything, I think, in a way. Like, yes, the Palpatine clone stuff is ridiculous and to a point. But I-, I think it's interesting to think about the fact that even as Palpatine was falling down that ventilation shaft, that he had a plan. And I don't think that in any way lessens Anakin's sacrifice or Darth Vader's, you know, redemption in that moment, he still saves his son. He still goes over to the light. That's not changed by what JJ added, uh, by what they added. I don't think it really takes away from it, in my opinion. I think it adds to it in a way that maybe, I don't think anybody was expecting. I, I see both sides of that. Like, I get, I, it, it's, it comes down to ultimately, because this could be a whole, its own debate entirely. It's the, I, Jim's thing is right in one sense, that like, it depends on how you view Star Wars. Is Star Wars about, as in the movies, the story of An- uh, the Scott- uh, Anakin and Luke Skywalker, a father? That's what it comes down to. Jim grew up with these movies as the, uh, the relationship between his son and his father. And then that changes with the prequels to the tragic hero of the father. And then you have the sequel trilogy... And I think it's Chris Porteous who made the comment is of it's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and that's just and that's just what it is. It's something that and to any Mormons in the audience, forgive me, it's something that feels relative to a lot of people, not to everybody, everybody have their own opinions, tacked on. Mm-hmm. And that's to each his own. And I think that's where 
as we get older, and that goes back to the comment I told Mackenzie, like they are, think about it, we, like I keep telling her and she agrees with me. She's, I think she's always agreed with me is that episode 10 is coming. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen at some point, And it's going to change the way, like how we view the sequel trilogy. It's, it's yeah. going to change the way we look at it. And I think that's kind of where I say Disney's going to destroy star Wars and maybe they're going to destroy it in the same way that just, they're going to keep adding layers onto it until eventually the initial layers just going to sink so far into the dirt. Not that they're gone, but they really don't have a presence anymore other than just being the initial foundation of it. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's just something we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I definitely say just give it like, Five to ten years, and I definitely see people's attitudes towards the sequel tr- sequel trilogy changing, just in the same way that people's attitudes are kind of uh, starting to change towards the prequels. I think people are starting to um, they're they're a little bit more uh, nostalgic in their hearts for it. Maybe there's just like a little tender soft spot in their in their uh, hardened Star Wars hearts for it a little bit. Misses, I think everybody realized they they're missing Lucas. Uh, that too. <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think everyone realizes that he's as crazy as Lucas was. It's much better to have one crazy man steering the car than a dozen semi-sane people. Yeah. Well, but I well, mean, that being said, it's still like you have to think about the generational thing too, because like I was kind of a prequel baby. I'm younger than most every everybody on this podcast. I'm the youngest person here. So I kind of have this same feeling about the tr- prequels that maybe Force right. Ghost Gems has about the original yep. trilogy. Well, I bet my daughter's favorite is besides the uh, besides the uh, the Last Jedi is Revenge of the Sith. That's her favorite. Mm. Yeah, mm. I. Yep, yep, yep. I understand. I guess to, make, to end this on a positive note, keep, I want everyone to keep their thoughts brief. Going around the room, what was your favorite part of the Rise of Skywalker? I'll well, I'm gonna let who wants to go first. I'll go first if nobody else. If everyone just wants a minute to think about it, I can definitely go first. All right, Jim, we'll let you go uh, last. Let you think about it, considering your job's probably gonna be the hardest of the three of us. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Mackenzie. My favorite part was when Ben Solo returns to Exegol, and he has this solo swagger to him. And he kind of does that thing where he like slides into to, to the shot, similar to Han in uh, Return of the Jedi. He also does the thing that Han does in The Force Awakens when he shoots behind him without looking. And I love those little parallels that they kind of like add in that show like, this is Ben Solo. You know what I'm saying? And I was so giddy during those little parts that they added to like be like, he he is... That is his father's son. You know what I'm saying? And then leading up from the him taking on all six of the Knights of Ren to the moment when they teleport the legacy saber to where it's behind him. And then he has this amazing little shrug. Like, yeah, that is, yeah. Oh, that is one of the best. That is my favorite part in the film is just like getting to see Ben Solo be Ben Solo. That is, I wish we could have had more of it. And I'm, I understand why they felt like, you know, that was enough. Maybe we didn't need any more, but I would, I would love to see more of that, of, of just Adam Driver himself, because it's so insane how well, how good of an actor he is, how 
convincing. Like he he's playing two separate people. It's it's so insane. I love it. It makes me so happy. Yeah, uh, can't disagree. Uh, my favorite. I, it's been the first thing I, I said when we did our initial Rise of Skywalker review back in December. I love me some Palpy. Oh, Palpy is so delightful <laughs> as both a as monster as like half he dead monster mash. <laughs> yes, that. Oh, the first. Oh, he was delightful. He was so delightful. Even on that, I know Jim's not thrilled with it though. But even the very beginning with him on Exegol and he's like hooked up to his giant like Kuka. Oh yeah, arm. that gave me that gave me spook. Like that spooked me for real. He's great. And then I was, uh, yeah. And then his oh his crimson robes. Oh, oh, the fact that like he shoots his like little lightning in the air, and he's just oh, I think I think I told Mackenzie this that like he's shooting his lightning in the air, he's wiping <laughs> out tens of thousands of ships all at once, and then all it takes is Ben Solo to twitch, and he automatically just immediately loses his he train loses of his focus. <laughs> and I love that. Like Palpatine has literally the entire galaxy in the palm of his hand, and yet these these like troublesome skywalkers it's like he's like a scooby-doo <laughs> villain it's like i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids and it's delightful it's delightful and that's why like i got what i wanted like that's that was kind of the only thing i really wanted from the rise of skywalker like in a oh yes since like april when they first told us that he was coming because at that point i didn't care about the movie i really like after the last jedi i was convinced that they were going to kind of screw the pooch on this and that that is like I will always have that. That's one thing they gave you. I never thought J.J. Abrams was on the same wavelength as me, but he was, on, on that level anyway. Um, so, Jim, what is your favorite part of the film? Is it the credits? Is it when the credits ended? <laughs> no, no, no. I, t- I have a couple. I, uh, I love the, the revelation of the second Death Star and seeing all the wreckage of that. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that a lot. And then uh, I enjoyed Palpatine, too, having him back even though I would have brought him back differently in the whole thing, but I enjoyed having his character back in the mix. I enjoyed, he, he's a fun character. He's fun. And, um, that, that was one other thing I enjoyed. Oh, when all the Imperial star destroyers come up out of the ice. Yeah, it was cool. Mm. I, I, yeah, that's, that, that was it. You know, they gave that away in the trailers. I, I love that. That is a great, that's the sort of visuals that I wish they would have done more of. Like that's the sort of stuff where they're, they're doing something different. And you know what? Like it, it's a frustrating movie because it seems like for every like two yep. steps forward, we take a step back because they, they it's they knew they know what they're doing, but they're so just hamstrung by their own. I don't know if it's hubris or like a weird like a weird form of incompetence or just second guessing themselves. It's just it, it's all these things. And I wish I understood it or at least understood it better than I think I do. Well, I I just think they just. They would start something and stop it, switch gears, and do something else instead mm. of following a complete thought. Yeah, just just stick to your guns. Have an idea and mm-hmm. run with it. Even, even if you second guess yourself, just just stick with it. Run with it. One of the, one of the best scenes of Return of the Jedi was the all-out brawl between the two fleets. Yeah, you know when the two fleets went toe to toe against each other. They didn't mm-hmm. have that. They didn't yeah. have that. Would have been cool to watch him duke it out. I mean, that's what they set up, but they didn't do that. Yeah. It's also weird that even in this, we didn't get a space battle. Like, we got another in-atmosphere battle. Well, and, and, and they had it set up. They had it set up. They were there. They were ready to go. Maybe they're trying. Yeah. 
Maybe um, they're trying to avoid that uh, plot hole that there's no sound in space. That always yeah. bothered me. <laughs> there's no oh, fire in man, space some either. Of the, some of the best sounds in Star Wars are that sounds. Oh, my oh yeah. Word. Oh, the, but you know, they. it's like you could see where they were going and there was like they were scared to go there or they thought they would do something. And, and they had so, and again, here, here's what it really boils down to. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like in I said, opinion. that's... Sure, sure. You always have to qualify it with that. In, in, in my no. opinion, missed opportunities. Like, it would have been neat, besides the fighting going on between Palpy and the lightsabers and all that, it would have been neat to have an all-out space battle. They have it all out. Full-on. Duke it out, because that's what it means. Star Wars, come on! Mm. It's in the but, title. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's not for like, long. <laughs> I'm just going to call it star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that dry erase board has its way. <laughs> it's just going to be star and that's it. No more wars. Oh, yeah. oh, that's right. It's uh, but no, I, but that, I, in terms of that, that's, I enjoy In terms of that, I enjoyed that stuff. Cause again, it goes back to what I, you know, the original trilogy, it harkens back to that for me. And I enjoyed that. Like Mackenzie said, I like the fight scene where, so where Ben Solo, after getting beat up on by the Knights of Ren, has a lightsaber, and then he kind of nods to him and say, "All right, I'm ready to do this now. I'm ready to do this. You guys still want to play? Let's go play." Well, in the novelization, it, what he was basically saying in his head was a uh, surprise. He imagined his father saying, so he was actually thinking of his father in that moment, which I think yep. is really awesome. Yep, it's like uh, exactly. It's uh, I, I think that's. Uh, I, that was a fun scene to do too. But go ahead, I'm good. <laughs> all right, Mackenzie, are you all good for now? Anyway. Uh, yeah. If I don't stop talking about the Rise of Skywalker, I, I never will. So I need all to right. do it now. All right, folks. So conclude this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and you will find us there waiting for you. Look yep. for us on Instagram at KLV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate and review, subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. Knights of Vader t-shirts. If you're interested in a KOV t-shirt, make sure to check out the show notes because we have some super cool designs. I think I just want everybody to know there are more shirt designs than just Remember Alderaan. There's about five other ones. So if you're inclined to wear a t-shirt of your favorite third-rate Star Wars podcast that doesn't have the words Remember and Alderaan in it, we do have other options for you. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies. You can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast as the Paul Bartell series carries on, where we talk about his most famous film, Eating Raoul. But when you're not listening to me, Eat Raoul, where can people find you, Jim? Uh, I'm on Facebook only anymore. Just look under Jim, last name Thane, T-H-A-Y-N-E. And Mackenzie, you don't like plugging things or you don't have anything to plug. So do you have any words of wisdom for us? Maybe a nice antidote, a riddle? Um, a word of advice. Stay hydrated and go for a walk. That'd be nice. One, two, do that. Three, four. Cool beans. All righty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, remember Alderaan and down with the Empire.